turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Ten minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're underway on this Wednesday. It's the 30th and final morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And we've got a lot of work to do today. Coming up in about two hours, top of hour number three, Jack Windsor will join us to tell us the latest of what's going on at the Ohio Press Network, the latest from the State House, the latest from the General Assembly, and perhaps beyond that. That'll be at 11.10 this morning. First two hours are all ours. I've got a lot to say, and I'm sure you've got a lot to uh, to offer as well. So we'll speak and we'll listen to one another over the course of the next two before we get to Jack Windsor. If you don't get in during the first two... Uh, good news, we've got three more after all of that. I'll be hosting the Dennis Prager Show today, so uh, I'll be there from uh, noon to 3 live on the Salem News Channel, the Dennis Prager website, and, of course, from 1 to 3 live here on AM 1420, The Answer. So, they went and did it. You knew they would. And now it's all that's left is what what is available to us from a legal perspective. What can we do with the Constitution in our pocket? What can we do to challenge, once Biden signs into law, 
the bill that was passed yesterday by the Senate, and we are forced to comply with things that violate our faith or our conscience, what legal recourse do we have? What legal recourse do people who are asked to participate in, perform, contribute to same-sex weddings, what recourse do they have from a legal perspective? That's literally all we have left uh, to talk about now. I got word you last night uh, that they went ahead. It was yesterday or during the day, actually late in the day. But I got word that, uh, yep, the Senate went ahead and passed the Respect for Marriage Act, which, of course, is the Disrespect for a Marriage Act. And I, it's not just being cutesy with words when I say that, but it, it does. It disrespects marriage, the entirety of the same-sex marriage debate, and the Obergefell Supreme Court decision disrespects marriage because marriage has always been with the uh, culturally, historically, it has been something that is the building block of the family, which is the building block of communities, which is which are the building blocks of societies, which are the building blocks of civilizations. It literally starts there. One man, one woman, woman coming together, procreating, raising children, healthy and happily in that mindset, in the same household, not separate households, and encouraging them to, when they grow up, to go out and do the exact same thing. It has been literally the building block of our civilization. It is not one man, it is not one man, one man. It's not one woman, one woman. It's not two women, one man. It's not two men and two women. It's one man and one woman. But here we sit. Now, since we passed the Defense of Marriage Act back in 1996, which literally declared what I just said. It just, it just recognized our human cultural history as being one man, one woman. That's the building block. That's it. Since that time, the challenges have come, of course, because there are tax benefits and there are maybe health care benefits and things like that for people who are spouses. And they used that to argue if two people are in love, regardless of whether or not uh, they're males or females. In fact, they didn't limit it to two. They just said, basically, one man, one woman has to go. Therefore, it could be, like I said, two and two or two and one or man and man, woman and woman. Um, they said they have to be recognized. So begrudgingly, after that was challenged in court, like I said, at the Supreme Court level, begrudgingly, uh, same-sex marriage became recognized in the law of the land, despite the belief of many, according to the religious principles, um, this has been the law. Regardless of how the quote-unquote Respect for Marriage Act, which was just passed by the Senate yesterday, thanks to 12 ridiculous, offensive non-constitution-believing Republicans joining the Democrats who already fit all of those descriptions. If this had not passed, if this bill had never been taken up, nothing would have changed for same-sex marriage partners. Nothing would have changed. This bill was wholly unnecessary if your goal is simply to protect same-sex marriage. It was never going to change anyway. This was unnecessary, which makes it all the more aggravating. What this does, however, 
is it takes away the protections that were offered in DOMA, the 1996 Defense of Marriage Act, for people who have consciences and faiths that prohibit them from wanting to participate or contribute to or recognize, etc., these unions as quote-unquote marriages. I've been talking about this for the last couple of days. The First Amendment is sacrosanct. The freedom to practice religion without it being established, Congress not making a law establishing a religion, but the freedom to practice religion is sacrosanct. It literally must be recognized. There's a reason it's the very first provision of the five provisions in the First Amendment to the Constitution. Freedom of speech is equally sacrosanct. I don't have to say something, you know, um, if I don't want to say it, with punishment waiting for me if I choose not to, punishment by the government. I shouldn't have to say anything, much less produce something and participate in something that I find objectionable. That's free speech. Free speech includes the freedom to say nothing and not be forced or compelled to speak. This is all so enormous. What happened last night, and this is, of course, going to get signed by Biden, what happened last night, after they, because they were supposed to have this vote tomorrow, they were hearing uh, amendments, suggested amendments yesterday, and all of those were voted down. Um, so they were supposed to have this tomorrow, but they couldn't even wait. And what happened yesterday and what will happen when Biden signs this is that we will have less protection in defense of our rights guaranteed, guaranteed us by the Constitution than we did before. That There's no other way to say it. Here's how the Alliance Defending Freedom press release says it. Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives Ryan Bangard regarding the U.S. Senate's passage Tuesday of the deceptively named Respect for Marriage Act, a bill that does far more than enshrine same-sex marriage into federal law by intentionally jeopardizing the religious freedom of millions of Americans who have sincerely held beliefs about marriage. Quote, This dangerously cynical and completely unnecessary bill is a direct attack on the First Amendment. It does nothing to change the legal status of same-sex marriage anywhere, but it undermines religious freedom everywhere and exposes Americans throughout the country to predatory lawsuits by activists seeking to use the threat of litigation to silence debate and exclude people of faith from the public square. Today, the Senate has chosen to disregard legitimate concerns about the undeniable harms of this bill. If the Senate truly cared about protecting religious freedom, it would have included comprehensive amendments proposed by Senators Lee, Rubio, and Lankford. ADF remains committed to ensuring the First Amendment protects the rights of all Americans and to defending those who will likely be targeted because of this legislation. End quote. Uh, that statement from ADF uh, could not be more clear. It is There is no ambiguity whatsoever. It is direct, and it is correct. This is a direct attack on the First Amendment. Again, and I said this to Pastor Chris Long from the Ohio Christian Alliance on Monday, we need to, we need to point out that 
both of those provisions of the First Amendment, both of those protections, uh, religion and speech, are under equal duress here. I'll point it out again just because I feel like it needs to be said because most of the responses to this have been on the religious side. But you don't have to be a person of faith to not want to participate in something that you disagree with. It can just be something you decide. So I'll say this again. The protections outlined in the First Amendment are not stacked, meaning one does not need another to exist. Freedom of speech doesn't need freedom of religion to be protected. You understand? Freedom of religion is, as I said, sacrosanct and extraordinarily important, but so is freedom of speech absent religion. I don't have to say anything I don't want to say. And if I choose not to say it, I shouldn't be faced with prosecution or civil action backed by a, a, a new law passed by a radical Congress. And, sign, and, and, that, and that, that, by the way, that part matters. A radical Congress, not a radical Democrat Congress, which I might have said had this been straight party line vote, But no, just a radical Congress, because it includes radical Republicans, including radical, repugnant, reprehensible Rob Portman, that is. Rob Portman sold out Americans, sold out families, sold out his Bible, sold out out his, his, his values when he changed on this over 10 years ago. And now, despite the threat to the First Amendment to the Constitution, his... Devotion to his own personal, selfish family considerations superseded, took precedent over his belief in the Constitution. But it wasn't just Portman. Tom Tillis of North Carolina, Susan Collins of Maine, Richard Burr of North Carolina, all of these individuals need to be summarily drummed out of the Senate. They need to be primaried and removed, never to be seen nor heard from again. They are literally saying the Constitution doesn't matter to us. Todd Young of Indiana, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, Mitt Romney of Utah, Joni Ernst in Iowa, Roy Blunt in Missouri, Cynthia Lummis in Wyoming, Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, and Dan Sullivan in Arkansas all need to be gone because they have literally joined the Democrats in violating the oath that they took when they were sworn in as members of the United States Senate. What was that oath? To protect and defend the Constitution, the same oath that the president has to take. Protect and defend the Constitution. With this passage of this bill, soon to become this disrespect for marriage law, they have literally cast the Constitution aside. Or, if you want to be more graphic, they have taken that sacred paper or parchment and they have put it through a paper shredder, then put that paper shredder through another paper shredder. And then they set that paper shredder on fire. You understand that? This is is the First Amendment. This is the Bill of Rights. This is the Constitution. They swore an oath to protect and defend it, and now they have literally destroyed it. We're going to be talking about this a bit this morning, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Before we do anything else and take our break, friends, patriots, please stand. You haven't 
abrogated your oath to the Constitution, nor have I. So let's stand and let's put our hands on our hearts, let's face our flags, and let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in any of the nonsense that just went down yesterday, you don't know what liberty stands for. You have no idea what those stars and stripes represent. You are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to something you do not believe in. As for the rest of us, however... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 924, I welcome your thoughts on this development, but we have more stories to get to coming up as well. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. If you've ever wished you could declare political bankruptcy, I declare bankruptcy! Keep your radio tuned to Always Right with Bob Fratz. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. On AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 935, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll take your phone calls, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We've got a lot of time for you this morning because uh, we have a guest at 1110 with Jack Windsor and not before then. So plenty of opportunities for you to be heard today. Um, I want to read a couple of other quick notes about the the devastation, quite frankly, um, for the First Amendment um, that was you know that was caused yesterday by the passage of this bill by the Senate rejecting amendments that could have protected um, people from being forced to participate in things by way of their First Amendment rights could have protected those rights they literally intentionally chose not to so a couple of the responses Albert Moeller said the new amended Senate bill, the common sense bill that protects Americans' religious liberties, actually does no such thing. The amended language includes vague assurances that the legislation will not violate religious freedom, but it mostly assures us that the bill will not do what no one claimed it would do, such as require congregations and churches to solemnize same-sex marriage. That's not the same thing. That's not protecting religious freedom simply because it says that churches and synagogues don't have to host uh, gay wedding ceremonies. That is not the same thing at all. Um, the Wall Street Journal described it this way, the Senate passed landmark legislation protecting Americans' access to same-sex marriage, solidifying rights that were established in a 2015 Supreme Court ruling. Lawmakers voted 61 to 36 to approve the legislation, which is intended to codify the ability of same-sex and interracial couples to get married. Again, there is absolutely no need nor reason for this bill in its entirety, but specifically to include interracial couples. Why? They threw interracial couples in there so that any legislator who voted against it can be called effectively a racist. What's the matter? You don't like black and white people getting married? You racist? There is nothing on the books, and there is no one calling for any kind of limitation whatsoever on interracial marriage. They threw that in there for the same reason they named this deceptively the Respect for Marriage Act. 
because it's optics. It's all about optics. You don't want to be called a racist for opposing interracial marriage. And then, of course, who could possibly oppose respecting marriage? This is the Respect for Marriage Act. This is what we should have is respect for marriage. Isn't that what it's all about? A dozen Republicans joined the Democrats in favor of the legislation, as we have noted. Um, and, and just one more quickie here. This one is from, I've got a lot of great reactions here, Christopher Bedford, who wrote this for Fox News. He is the executive, executive director of the Common Sense Society. It's one that I don't think is a very highly populated society, unfortunately. Every state in the union will now be required to recognize the marriage laws of any other state in the union. In practice, this will signal the Californication of American marriage laws. States from Montana to Texas, Florida, Washington would be governed by the most radical marriage laws of the most radical state. With a simple and barely debated vote, the Senate will, uh, has destroyed state sovereignty on the country's central institution, which is marriage. The private religious organizations most immediately affected will be those that do business with the government. The designation might draw images of road crews and other government contractors, but in reality will extend to those religious nonprofits that assist the government in its social services, potentially including adoption agencies, prisoner rehabilitation clinics, and immigration shelters, immigrant shelters. And while the law does not explicitly deny grants and licenses to charitable religious organizations, it does repeal the Defense of Marriage Act without replacing its protections, leaving religious organizations for far more vulnerable to the arbitrary acts of zealous bureaucrats. The, the jaws behind this law are twofold. And we'll wrap it here. First, state attorneys general may bring civil suits against those they believe are in violation of the laws. Second, any person who is, quote, harmed, end quote, by a violation of the law may bring a civil action against their neighbor. The result? Every man, a Jack Phillips, the Colorado baker who spent a decade embroiled in frivolous yet life-altering legal harassment from both private activists and the state itself. Every man will be Jack Phillips. The result will be a nearly impossible tra- to traverse legal regime that can reach into your conscience from all angles. Both religious liberty and fundamental federalism are in the hangman's noose. I couldn't say that any better. I uh, am very interested in your reactions to this, your concern over this. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Let's go to Kent and say good morning to Marty. Marty, thanks for joining us on Always Right Radio. What say you, sir? Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Wasn't it Oberlin College that also had something similar with a bakery, just out of number one? No, no, that was different. Uh, that was, was the, oh, okay, that was a, That's okay. That was an important case. That was when they accused Gibson's Bakery in Oberlin, with whom they had a contract of racism and uh, systemic racism for daring oh, to... Oh. Yeah, for daring to prosecute and press charges against uh, three Oberlin students who stole wine from uh, from them and shoplifted. Um, That's right. Okay. So, but so different story with bakeries. But go ahead. Yeah. So uh, my first thing is uh, you had a guest on a week or so ago and was talking about Millennium Man the book. Mm-hmm. Got it. Read yep, it. I remember. Made a complete difference. Made a complete difference. Things have a completely different viewpoint for me now. So. 
Yeah, I'm not quite as um, upset about everything because it's supposed to happen. Number two, we look whoa, whoa, back. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> uh, I, I got, before you go to number two, tell me about number <laughs> one. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean you're not upset anymore because things are supposed to happen like this? What does that mean? Um, it is written in the Bible. I mean, prophecy tells because Satan was cast down to earth that he is in charge of everything that is pretty much going on. This is his realm. We're just visitors as Christians. We're just visiting. So you, so you see earth as, as literal hell? Satan's domain? No, 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 no. I see earth as for a time period, which after Satan was cast out of heaven, this is his dominion. He has power and control over uh, things that go on here. Under his, he has influenced individuals who have not accepted Christ. Um, and as Christians, we're just passing through. Okay, interesting um, perspective. I have not read that book, so I, I can't oh, talk to it as, as you are. But but uh, I just I'm not to a, I'm give not us a little a, detail on I, number one. What's number two? I'm not an avid. Oh, well, I'm not an avid reader. So it, but it only took me 24 hours to read that book. Okay, I, I, I appreciate I appreciate uh, the heads up on wow. it. What, what was number two? Okay, number two. We look back through history as to how civilizations came to a demise. What? You know, you look at the Aztecs. What ended the civilization? What happened here? It just looks like everybody moved away, moved out, just left all of a sudden. We are now living in the middle of how civilizations come to an end. Our First Amendment rights are being absolutely destroyed. And because, um, and I, I, I say this kind of reluctantly, mm -hmm. but because we have not fully exercised our Second Amendment rights to protect the First Amendment rights, those will be next. Um, you're not wrong. I know. You're not wrong. I know. I, hate, you, when, I hate to... I, I do, too. But you know what? All great civilizations historically that crumbled, crumbled from within, not from without. Yep. They weren't, yep. you know, nobody came in and conquered the mighty Roman army. Nobody came in and conquered the mighty Greek uh, empire either. I mean, we, we literally, we literally have watched the division coming from within leading to the crumbling of the infrastructure of the, of the, uh, of the, of the, uh, um, civilizations. So the great, yeah. the great ancient civilizations of the past, and when I say great, I mean, is in powerful, not the things that they did that were great. Uh, but you're right. Uh, uh, and, even the, and, even and we may be in the middle of that. We may be in the middle of that right now. Here's the thing, yeah. though, that I'll disagree with, my friend. And I thank you for the phone call. I'm going to keep talking here, but keep uh, keep listening. Uh, I, I, I don't think it's a fait accompli. I don't think that our destruction of this civilization is um, fated. Okay? I, I don't think it is a given. I don't think there's, you know, the, the, that there's no hope. I think we are in the middle of it. I think we are seeing things like our First Amendment rights being taken away, uh, our children being abused and indoctrinated into things that uh, will not 
propagate the species going forward with uh, families, the building block, the nuclear family. Again, I'll go through the, the progression. Uh, you know, I, I think this attack on our children and our indoctrination of them in schools um, is going to lead to that if we don't stop it. But it's not something that we have to just say, well, we can't stop it, so we're in the middle of it, just watch it play out. I think there's a fight that is to be had, um, and I think it's a fight we can win. But it's going to take a lot of unity, less division from the side that actually wants to protect and preserve this great civilization. Um, there's obviously a division between us and the other side, but within our own ranks, those who want to protect and preserve this, this glorious civilization gifted to us by God have to come together, have to work together, and I think that can happen. The right leadership needs to be found, and the right leadership needs to be you know, supported, and I think that can happen as well, and I think we are on the right track there. Now, what you said about the Second Amendment, being necessary and and to not just have it but to use it in order to protect the first amendment i'm reticent to to talk about it from the standpoint of you know we need to start a violent physical civil war in order to protect this civilization uh that's going to require you know american turning gun on american again but i would tell you this if you're not armed, if you're not ready for what may or may not be inevitable but might be uh, in the line of sight down the road, you're going to wish you had been. You're going to wish you had been. If you're not ready to protect yourself now, if you're not ready to protect your family now from this, uh, I, wanna, I don't want to call it an Armageddon and be as melodramatic as that, but but if you're not ready to protect yourself from the threats that face your family right now, um, you're, you're going to wish you had been at some point. I'll just leave it that way. Thank you, Marty. It's a really, really thought-provoking call. Let's go to um, Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, I've been saying it since they stole 2020 from us, that this is not going to be a 50-state union pretty soon. But that's neither here nor there. Yesterday, I very respectfully called Senator Portman's office, asked him to reconsider, to think about people's religious liberties. Um, apparently, he didn't listen. This morning, I made another phone call, and I wasn't quite as nice. And I pretty much told him, come back to Ohio now, because you're not doing anything for us in Washington. And I encourage anyone who called him yesterday to call him today and to let them know, how disgusted we are with him. I'm tired of this. I told him that I am very happy that we now have a conservative in his seat. And I think think people need to, you know, people need to let him know. I mean, I am. Well, the, the, the real, the real, you know, difficulty here, of course, as you realize, is he doesn't care whether you feel uh, betrayed by him or whether you're angry with him, because that's the one of the reasons he resigned. So he doesn't have to answer to you anymore. He can do these things on his way out the door, selfishly thinking about him, himself, and his son, himself and his family, instead of the people that he represents, the constituents of the state of Ohio and of the United States of America and the Constitution, he swore an oath to protect and serve. Um, he so can I do that without that without ever having to worry about you again. He can say, oh, I got messages here, I got voicemails, I got emails from people saying they don't like what I just did. I will never have to hear from them again because he's gone exactly. in a month. And it's so, sickening, but I, I still felt this need to have to say I know, something. I know, you just and need to... 
Yeah. yeah. And well, I mean, and I pretty much, you know, I mean, I, I mean, you used to be an English teacher, correct? Yeah. I mean, isn't the fact that you have to put the word gay or same sex in front of the word marriage alter the term marriage? Please tell me that. Right. I mean, it is no longer. It does. It changes. It changes what marriage. Yeah. I mean, because marriage has always been accepted as being, which is why even, you know, this is what's so bizarre. And I know you get this. You know, it was only 1996 and a Democrat president signed DOMA and Democrat legislators like Joseph R. Biden defended DOMA Defense of Marriage Act. One man, one woman. Let's put it in the law so we don't have to worry about this anymore. And Democrats went along with Republicans and said, of course, it makes I mean, that's what it's always been. And just 25 years later-ish, here we are, and they're literally pretending that they never did that, and that even if they did, well, they're more enlightened now. Now marriage isn't one man and one woman. It can be whatever combination of goofy stuff that people can conjure up in their minds. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, what's, just that's my, what's just so frustrating. You know, that's what I think bothers me. I mean, just the fact that you have to put a prefix on that <laughs> yeah. tells yeah. me that you're changing the the meaning of the word yeah well they wouldn't yeah. even deny that they they, they acknowledge that wholeheartedly this yeah of course we are we are changing the meaning of the word because it deserves to be changed it ought to be changed it was it was prejudicial and discriminatory before so we want to change it now so that's uh, well, I'll, be, I'll be honest i mean my only hope at this point is that they do a revote in arizona and blake masters wins yeah, that I mean, would be that would honest. be that would be nice that would be nice i mean because i have but a friend it, in arizona and arizona is a disaster yeah yes there. it is i've got friends there too believe me yeah. i know thank you joanne i appreciate the call i want to go out to richfield and get derek here before the break derek you're on am 1420 the answer good morning go ahead sir thank you bob good morning uh so yesterday i had heard that um the january 6th committee sentenced uh, I believe one or two of the leaders of, you know, the or, the Oath Keepers organization? Yeah, yeah. Um, charged them with seditious conspiracy related to January 6th, but like, that's like a 20-year um, sentence. So it seems that they're now uh, stepping it up besides the trespassing charges most people had seen, and now they're getting a, going a little further with this. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it just happened yesterday. Yeah, and, um, I, you know, I, I'm never going to take anything that they do seriously until they answer the Ray Epps question. Uh, and why is he not being charged the same way he was one of the leaders and one of the instigators getting people to go in there and telling them to, you know, tear the place apart? Uh, he's on tape doing so, right. and he is not being charged. We all know that. But, yeah, um, right. uh, here, here's here's the difficulty. Uh, I'll say this, Derek, and I've said this from the beginning, the moment we saw it, and on, on December 7th, I was on the air talking about, or uh, January 7th, rather. Um, anybody who committed in a violent, uh, committed a violent act that day, um, should be prosecuted and charged and, and convicted of rioting, vandalism. If they assaulted anybody on the way in of assault, I said, I, I spare no, you know, punishment whatsoever for these individuals. But number one, it has to be, um, very specifically, um, what's the word I'm looking for to the crime? Um, it has to be very specifically related to the crime or relevant to the crime, uh, and that's not the right word I'm looking for, number one. Number two, it needs to be their constitutional rights to a speedy trial need to be respected, and they have not been. And number three, and this is the most important part, if we're going to start prosecuting rioters who commit those very acts, 
then damn it, I want every one of those who smashed windows, set fires, uh, assaulted cops, threw bo- uh, rocks at them, and, and bottles of, uh, and, and bags of urine, and all of the things that they did for an entire four or five month period of time in the summer of right. 2020 to face the same thing. I want them, those people put in year, uh, put in jail for, or prison for years. I want fair and equal treatment under the law. That's what I want. And uh, and what you're seeing and what we're talking about right now um, is not fair and equal treatment. If they do this to everybody who does this sort of thing, then you know what? Uh, consistency is all I've ever asked for. But if they uh, if they specifically choose to be harder on these people because they're Trump supporters and the January 6th committee hates Trump so much, they'll do anything they can to try to tear his base down. If they do that for political reasons, we have an entire different story on our hands. Exactly. It's selective enforcement of, of common sense laws when there is, I mean, there is evidence of of all, everything you spoke of, all the rioting, all the different cities, you name it, all the different states, and that are provable. Uh, you could come on a spatial recognition spell or all this stuff. But the fact, it, it's just, I don't know how to say it. It's so much to take in that we can, we can sit back, we can see these things go unpunished, allowed to happen. I mean, allowed to happen. And, and yeah. they just turn a, a blind eye. I don't even know the word is they allowed it to happen um again this is the point they allow political violence just to gain power yeah that that's exactly what they do i'm glad you brought it up my friend thank you we cannot forget about what happened on january 6th and what is happening to the individuals the political prisoners who are being kept there and acknowledging political prisons by the way in no way shape or form justifies nor condones or supports any of the actions that took place that day that were violent very different, of course, than the quote-unquote trespassers who followed an open door. The police officer stood off to the side and said, go on in, just don't break anything, okay? Literally invited in. Those people shouldn't be facing anything. But it's a different cry from those who, uh, who, who led and, and, uh, and did commit actual crimes inside. Okay, 955, right back, Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. A little longer break than usual. Apologies for that, but we are again wide open in this hour for phone calls at 216-901-0945. It's not exactly a free-for-all. I'd like you to respond to the things that I'm talking about that I have presented for you, but uh, we do have plenty of time for your calls. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, I want to move away from the... um, Well, actually, you know what I do want to do? I want to take this call that was a holdover from last hour because he wants to stay on the Marriage Act, uh, the Disrespect for Marriage Act. Then I want to pivot from that and get into something else that is extraordinarily important. So let me take Ted, who's in Chagrin Falls. He held over from last hour. I appreciate that, Ted. Go ahead. What did you want to say about the uh, uh, Disrespect for Marriage Act? Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I was talking to my wife yesterday and said the uh, Supreme Court could take this uh, and nullify this act that they're doing uh, because it's unconstitutional that's what i've heard 
Well, um, the, you know, uh, that's what's that's what legal scholars and you know lawyers are trying to figure out right now. Um, I had a conversation just briefly last night with Chris Long from the Ohio Christian Alliance after this was confirmed, this uh, vote, and I said, "What do we do now?" And he said, "That's the question that right. uh, our legal teams are going to be all pouring over uh, for the next several days to find out what okay. can be done to challenge so it in the court is, of law." There is hope. Um... Uh, well, we hope there's hope. We hope there's hope is where I would leave that. Right. Just to be clarif- clarify that with you, I don't want to. Uh, I don't. Know, I don't know what the legal you. precept would be, to be honest with you, because I'm not a lawyer. But I think there is hope that we have hope. Yes, go ahead. Right. One other thing is uh, T- POWMIA. Uh, somebody was mentioning it yesterday to you about bracelets um, that they don't see them anymore. They haven't been around Rolling Thunder. We've been in the. Uh, uh, for 25 years now. In fact, we're going on our 26th anniversary now in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, we take care of our veterans, and we still do wear those POWMIA bracelets for men that were left behind, men and women. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, that's the one thing that I think is, the. and thank you for the call, Ted. Uh, one of the most shameful things, um, truthfully, uh, is that we have veterans who are treated more poorly than people who declare themselves to be transsexuals or transgendered. Um, The streets of some of the biggest cities in this country, including San Francisco, are littered with homeless veterans. And they're not giving free money to homeless veterans. They're giving free money to people who say they're trans. If they're trans and they're poor, they get free money. Did you hear that story? $1,200 a month, guaranteed, For 18 months, if you are in an impoverished situation and you are a trans person, that's going on in San Francisco. My first response to that was, wait a second, what have you ever done, any big city, to say there's an extraordinary number of veterans who are homeless and impoverished and can't make ends meet and that are suffering from PTSD and have a higher suicide rate than any other part of the population? including and especially those uh, who are declaring themselves to be uh, trans. Nothing is done. So I'm glad you're not forgetting. I'm glad you're you're still uh, promoting and pushing and wearing bracelets to support uh, POWMI and, yes, of course, to keep our veterans uh, in mind. Thank you for the call, Ted. I wanted to uh, get that in before I get into this. Now, I wanted to, to – it's, it's not terribly dissimilar from the first story because we're talking about freedom. It's just instead of freedom of speech – and freedom of um, uh, of uh, religion, which is what the first story was. I want to talk about academic freedom, and I want to talk about physical freedom, because these things are seriously in jeopardy still because of the ongoing pressure by the CDC, the NIH, the Dr. Fauci's, the Rochelle Walensky's, and everybody else to continue to push for new lockdown measures, or at the bare minimum, new shot mandates, a return to masks. They're trying to restart the pandemic that Joe Biden himself said was over just about two months ago. There was a terrific piece here about the uh, uh, academic freedom issue which literally is the most important thing when it comes to our COVID uh, knowledge, our COVID responses, our COVID opinions, and the decisions we make as to whether or not we want to go in public places, wear masks, no masks, take shots, no shots, and so on and so forth. The academic freedom issue here is integral because we make our minds up based on some of the science that we hear. But as you know, we were only allowed to hear certain science during the whole of the last two and a half years. 
the science that said, go take these experimental shots. We'll let you know how they work out in a few years. If you're not dead yet from that shot, if you haven't had severe uh, blood clotting, strokes, palsies, heart issues, myocarditis and pericarditis, if those things haven't already waylaid you, uh, we'll tell you how it worked out. Because the bottom line is there are a lot of scientists who are telling the truth, that we are literally the experiments. We are the experimental group. And the unvaccinated are the control group. And let's let's go through this. Stanford professor Jay Batacaria, author of the Great Barrington Declaration, uh, has put out a piece saying that academic freedom is dead. And all of those who have stood up to the regime now face a deeply hostile work environment. That impacts them at their jobs, but it impacts you because if you can't hear from them, you only hear from the CEO of Pfizer, who cha-ching, is more worried about cha-ching, profits and money cha-ching, by pushing new variants of the shots cha-ching um, uh, on you because of the variants of COVID-19 that have cha-ching, change cha-ching. That's all they care about, and the government is complicit with it. That's the only people you're allowed to hear from. When you take a position that is at odds with the uh, scientists who are running the show, then you are con- you are accused of scientific heresy, and your life becomes a living hell. Speaking at the Academic Freedom Con- Conference at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, Batakaria, pre- who previously described lockdowns as, quote, the most catastrophically harmful policy in all of history, And the single worst public health mistake of the last 100 years. We have a high clarity that declares from on high what is true and what is not true. And I'll pause there to remind you this is exactly what's going on in China right now. If you're watching the news, the lead story in almost every cast is China. If you look at any news sites uh, online, it is China because of their lockdown policy, which is a little bit different than ours, because they continue to arrest people who don't want to be locked down, and they get welded into their apartment buildings. Let me say that again. The doors are being welded shut from the outside. So if you got locked inside and didn't have enough food for the duration of whatever this lockdown is going to be, sorry about your luck. You're going to starve to death. This is why the people of China are rising up against the CCP. This is why they're rising up against Xi Jinping, and it's why the Chinese Communist Party is dropping heavy, heavy hammers on those people. Don't get excited, Paul Pelosi. This is um, what we are talking about here in the United States. This is what our concern is. Now, is the federal government in the United States the same as the CCP? No, not yet. But I bet these people in China who are being rounded up and who are being beaten, assaulted, and imprisoned for simply existing outside of a building where they are told they must quote-unquote quarantine, I bet you they wish they had a Second Amendment. I bet you they they wish they had an opportunity to push back against an overreaching, oppressive government. That is why our country... That is why the founders of this great nation gave us our Second Amendment, for exactly that reason, so that we can fight back. No matter how many times Joe Biden wants to say it's, well, how many, uh, how many rounds do you need to kill a deer and play his stupid hunting analogy games, the reality is we need to be able to protect ourselves against criminals, both foreign and domestic, both civilian and government. 
And that's why when he was uh, on his little Nantucket vacation, the man lives on vacation, uh, in, um, uh, over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend last weekend, um, some reporter caught up with him and they talked about, uh, they talked about the guns and he There's went right no, back to it again. No social redeeming value. Zero. None. Not a single solitary rationale for it except profit for the gun manufacturer. Can you do anything about gun laws during the lame duck, sir? I'm going to try. What will you I'm, try and do? I'm going to try to get rid of assault weapons. During the lame duck? I'm going to do it whenever i I got to make that assessment as I get in. He's going to try to do away with assault weapons again. He said there is no reason whatsoever to have a semi-automatic weapon which means he doesn't want there to be any guns at all, because virtually every gun is a semi-automatic weapon. A semi-automatic weapon means one round is, is discharged with every pull of the trigger. That's semi-automatic. Automatic is multiple rounds are pulled as you hold the trigger. Virtually every handgun would then be declared a semi-automatic weapon. He continues to come after our guns, and I'm telling you, watch China and tell me if you think that's a good idea. Back to Jay Batacaria. Batakaria noted that, quote, the basic premise is that if you don't have protection and academic freedom in the hard cases, when a faculty member has an idea that's unpopular among some of the other faculty, a powerful faculty, or even the administration, if they don't protect it in that case, then you don't have academic freedom at all, end quote. And again, what does that mean to you? You're not an academic. But you are the ones, you and me, we are the ones who are living under whatever rules are established by the academics. And the academics are compromised because ones that 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 have a different view come up with different results from literal legitimate scientific tests controlled experiments and tests and studies if they come up with different uh, results they're buried their careers are ended and you never hear them and we're just told hey remember that shot it's safe and effective every scientist says so it's a massive consensus. Well, of course it's a massive consensus when you disbar, for lack of a better word, I know that's a legal term, but when you remove scientists who found something different from the equation, of course you have a huge consensus. Batakari and thousands of other academics and scientists were initially vilified for damning lockdowns, but have since been vindicated as the societal and medical toll of the shutdowns has been revealed. That's what you and I are. Batakaria said the purpose of the one-page document was aimed at telling the public there was not a scientific consensus in favor of lockdowns, that in fact many epidemiologists, doctors, and other prominent people disagreed with the consensus. He then described how proponents of the declaration were systematically frozen out of discussions and debates. If Stanford were truly committed to academic freedom, he said, they would have worked to make sure that there were debates and discussions and seminars where these ideas were discussed among faculty. He said that power replaced the idea of truth as the guiding light. When you have somebody like Anthony Fauci saying unironically that if you question me, you're not simply questioning a man, you're questioning science itself. That's an exercise of raw power where he places himself as the Pope of Science, rather than a genuine desire to learn the truth. And I'm not even done, because now we have to talk about the dilemma of the unvaccinated, people like you and me. We'll talk about that as we continue. Always Right Radio on The Answer. 1035, Always Right Radio continuing. 
Jack Windsor coming up in a half an hour at about 11.10. we got a lot to talk about uh, at the, the, the State of Ohio level. A uh, couple of things. First one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move away from what I just said I was going to do, and I'll do that in a minute. Uh, and that is talk about um, the dilemma of the unvaccinated. Uh, if you're not paying attention, the world is still making declarations about the quote-unquote COVID pandemic, and there is a huge movement afoot uh, in the United States to begin some of the same mistakes and repeat some of the same mistakes that were made the first time around. So I want to talk to you about a very important piece on that. But before I do, someone sent me Rob Portman's statement, my good friend Dan Ramada. I shouldn't just say somebody. I should identify Dan because Dan Ramada is my co-leader of the Ohio Network of uh, Citizens for Free Speech. And free speech, of course, the First Amendment is under severe, severe attack now. And as a matter of fact, it's not just under attack. As soon as the House votes to pass this uh, Senate version, which just passed yesterday, and then Biden signs it, free speech will be dead. Free speech and freedom of religion will be dead because of this Respect for Marriage bill, uh, which will then become a law. So yesterday, Portman issued this statement, and I do yourself a favor, sit down before you hear it, make sure you're not swallowing anything because you'll choke on it. This is a momentous day in the state, and I am proud of my colleagues whose hard work made passage of this bill possible. The American people want this issue settled, and with the passage of this bill, millions of married couples will get the certainty and peace of mind they deserve by having their marriage protected. I'll pause there to tell you, he's full of crap. No one has any more protection now than they did before. This bill was wholly unnecessary. He continues. The Supreme Court acknowledged same-sex marriage as a constitutional right in 2015, yet current law allows states and federal government to refuse to recognize valid same-sex marriages. That is not happening in any state, much less the federal government. Again, you're making up a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. And why? Selfishness, that's why. He continues, The Respect for Marriage Act, which was already pa- has already passed the House with bipartisan support, simply guarantees that a valid same-sex marriage from one state will be recognized by the federal government and other states. It ensures that valid, marri- valid marriages between two individuals are given full faith and credit, regardless of the couple's sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin. Once again, I'll pause and say, Bullcrap! Bullcrap, Rob! If you had any guts whatsoever, you would answer the call from people like me and my team and come on the radio with me and discuss these things, but you don't. You're spineless and you're selfish. This is bullcrap. What do I mean by that? This doesn't just guarantee that valid same-sex marriages will be recognized by the federal government and other states and valid marriages between two individuals are given full faith and credit, this bill and this, this, the, the language of this does not specify one person and one person, two people. It does not. It just says same sex, which means it can open the door to a host of other deviant, quote-unquote, marriages that would be codified by this ridiculous law. Secondly, the idea that this Respect for Marriage Act guarantees valid same-sex marriages would be recognized by the federal government. It does so much more than that. It, It guarantees that people of faith and people of conscience are going to be punished if they don't go along with this. 
That's the element of this you refuse to address. Oh, wait a minute, until you address it with more misinformation in your final paragraph of this press release. Quote, Throughout this process, I also listened to the concerns raised by religious organizations and worked with my colleagues to strengthen the religious liberty protections in the bill while still preserving the rights of same-sex married couples. A group of constitutional scholars who specialize in religious liberty have analyzed the bill and concluded that it does not pose new litigation risks to faith-based groups but contains important protections that will now be enshrined into the law. Bullcrap! I don't know how one man can write this pack of lies and put his name at the bottom of it and still be in the United States Senate. This is not just about faith-based groups. All you did in this bill, or your team did, or the the group of, of demonic Democrats and U-12 Republicans, all you did was say that churches aren't going to have to perform the weddings. Those are the faith-based groups you talk about. You did not say that individuals are allowed to take their faith with them into their own businesses and not perform services for same-sex unions. You have hung them out to dry. You have made it so that people can't make up their own minds as to whether or not they want to contribute to something that, whether because of faith or because of conscience, they just don't support. You've taken away freedom from people. He continues, I believe that the rights of same-sex couples can and must coexist with religious freedom protections and that the rights of both groups can be advanced when people come together and work in good faith. I look forward to House passage and legis- of this legislation and to President Biden signing it into law. You haven't done anything in good faith since you flipped because your kid said he's gay. That's it. You haven't done anything in good faith, Rob Portman, since your kid said I'm gay, and you said, oh, then I now support same-sex marriage. I opposed it. I declared it to be one man and one woman. I supported DOMA. But my son's gay. All of that is out the window. Constitution, bye-bye. Constituents, voters who put me here, see ya. The only thing that matters to me is my kid. That's selfishness. You have abrogated your oath to protect and defend the Constitution. Rob Portman, the end of your political career cannot come fast enough. The hell with you. What you have done here is going to have long-lasting ramifications for millions and millions of Americans who used to have religious freedom and who used to have freedom of speech. And that means the freedom to say things and the freedom to not say things that they don't want to say. Those things are gone now because of you. You're a liar. You're a fraud. You haven't done anything whatsoever that that even remotely resembles dignity. I mean... I'll give him one cre- one piece of credit because I did this before. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Washington, D.C., and we were celebrating the uh, soon-to-be-completed um, D-Day edition of the D-Day prayer to the World War II Memorial. And as I said before, Bill Johnson sponsored that act on the House side as, at Chris Long's request, and Rob Portman sponsored it on the Senate side. That is about the only thing 
I can think of, honestly, since this guy flipped on his constituents and flipped on the Constitution because his son said he was gay, that Rob Portman should or should be able to be proud of. That's just about the only thing. He sold out his entire constituency to his son, and that's it. And don't get me wrong, I love my son, I love my daughter, and I love my family, and I, 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 wish, I don't wish anybody has to go through something like that. But when you take an oath to serve and protect the Constitution, that oath supersedes everything. And the Constitution now is being shredded by Rob Portman, his gang of 12 on the, on the Republican Senate side, joining with the Democrats to eliminate the First Amendment. So I hope that is very, very clear. I hope everybody understands that, and I hope that will be the legacy of Rob Portman and his time in the United States Senate. J.D. Vance, don't let us down. J.D. Vance needs to be a bigger, better, um, more consistent version of what a real true conservative is supposed to look like in the United States Senate. So thank you, Dan, for sharing that with me. I promise you we're going to be talking about that on the Dennis Prager Show today as well. I'll be hosting for Dennis from noon until 3. Uh, one to three live here on AM 1420, The Answer. Make sure you tune in because I'll have a lot more on that. Now, having said all of that, um, I do want to get in, uh, get back to the unvaccinated. I do want to talk about the um, uh, Robert Malone article. Robert Malone, if you don't recall, is the doctor and researcher who created and invented and holds the patent on the messenger RNA uh, vaccinations. He literally invented it with a team of others, but he holds the patent. He's the lead guy. He opposes the vaccines as a, uh, you know, the Pfizer, the shots. Again, I don't want to use the term vaccine because it doesn't vaccinate. But the shots being used by Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and the other ones using a messenger RNA technology. And now he is speaking about, out about those who intelligently, rightfully, refuse the profit shots against all of the pressure of our jobs, of the federal government, of our neighbors, of our friends, of our teachers, and everything else. With recent calls for pandemic amnesty, writes Robert Malone, from the groups who destroyed lives and businesses, closed schools, stripped away your freedom, and turned family, friends, and neighbors against each other, the unvaccinated and truth-tellers find themselves in a pickle. This is you and me, probably. Morality and civility should are, uh, could argue that we should forgive those who vilified us for choosing medical sovereignty, non-compliance with unconstitutional mandates, and simply questioning the narrative, but it's not that simple. Some pro-vaxxers may have been legitimately uninformed and scared to blindly follow, or scared to blindly follow health guidelines and government mandates without question. But the mob mentality to demonize the unvaccinated and gaslight society into thinking we were the problem? crossed a potentially unforgivable line. And by the way, they're still doing that. Biden is still calling this a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Biden is still telling you that if you don't get vaccinated, you are putting yourself and your family at risk, even though it does not stop the infection of one from another. Making the rounds online is a Los Angeles Times article from earlier this year titled, Mocking Anti-Vaxxers COVID Deaths is Ghoulish, Yes, But May Be Necessary. The article URL is even titled, Why Shouldn't We Dance on the Graves of Anti-Vaxxers? The writer contends, Those who have deliberately flouted sober medical advice by refusing a vaccine known to reduce the risk or serious disease from the virus, including the risk to others, and end up in the hospital or the grave, can be viewed as receiving their just desserts. That's even more true of those who not only refuse the vaccine for themselves, but publicly advocated for that others do so. 
It has become common online and in social media for vaccine refusers and anti-vaccine advocates to become the target of ridicule after they come down with COVID-19, and especially if they die from it. The writer even promotes the disgusting and hateful website SorryAntiVaxxer.com that posts details and pictures of dead, quote, anti-vaxxer activists who helped spread COVID-19 misinformation on social media, end quote. And it encourages visitors, quote, to stop others from making the same mistake. Get vaccinated, in all caps. He also praises a fellow reporter for delighting in the fact that mocking anti-vaxxers when they get sick has become a bit of a sport. There are endless examples of hatred and contemptible acts toward the unvaccinated over the past two years, but to relish in their death is abhorrent. The data and information are now clear that the vaccines did not work as promised, and the propaganda machine was lying. Even the CDC admits there is no difference in guidance for vaccinated and unvaccinated persons. So what are the unvaccinated to do? Don't be spiteful, don't forget, but don't stop asking questions. One of the first questions that we need to ask in a concession to be made from the pandemic amnesty camp needs to be around whether or not the young and healthy people suddenly dying have been vaccinated. This should not be taboo. It should be for the greater scientific community to debate and learn from. We know now all-cause mortality rates are up. Health agencies are now normalizing SADS, which is called Sudden Adult Death Syndrome, and myocarditis, while blaming deaths of young, healthy adults on the side effects of COVID. To call a truce and work together for answers, the COVID-19 vaccine must be a factor. It's not gruesome to ask if someone was vaccinated when they died suddenly, and for unknown causes. That answer will get us all closer to the truth, potentially save lives, and know where the line is when the next fear-driven propaganda events, event tries to divide and destroy us. So to the hateful mob waving a white flag, please remember, we won't celebrate your deaths, we won't wish harm on you, but we won't forget that you did. That's Dr. Robert Malone and his substack. And I offer it to you to offer this. Hold the line. I'm not a doctor. I don't hold the patent on the mRNA technology that created those shots. I'm just a guy with a microphone, but I've read and I've studied and I've listened and I've learned, and I'm telling you right now that my advice to you, which would be called, if I was posting it on Facebook, misinformation, but thankfully I'm not. I'm using the public airwaves. Hold the line. The new variant is coming out, and they're pushing it, and they're combining it with the flu, and RSV as a an unholy triumvirate of respiratory diseases that are going to kill us all this winter. Get the shots, they're telling you. And I'm telling you, hold the line. Don't let them start up again. Don't let them pressure. Don't let them dance. Don't let them push and claim that you're the grim reaper if you refuse to take this shot considering the fact that so many who took the shot did not survive it or did did not survive it without serious medical uh, adverse events happening to them, hold the line. If it doesn't inoculate you, it's not a vaccine. 
Don't let them try to tell you otherwise. The CDC is back on TV with more commercials now. You probably watch them every night or day or whenever you're watching TV. I see them, and once again, they're out there with the, this shot works. The new, the new variant is changing, but we've changed. The Pfizer guy says we've changed our, 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 our product here as well. And the shot works. It's safe and effective. So in other words, the original shots that we gave you don't work anymore. Let's start over. Take the new shots, because the new shots are more specifically designed for the new variant of COVID. In other words, no clinical trials, no widespread uh, controlled studies, randomized controlled studies to find out what the impact of these shots will be. We already know myocarditis, pericarditis, and all the other things happen from the other shots, but this one we don't even know yet. But do us a favor. Please hop in our little Pfizer-logoed Petri dish, and let's see what happens to you. Friends, there shouldn't be a dilemma of the unvaccinated. Remain unvaccinated. Hold the line. And speaking of holding the line, for all those who are on hold right now, I'll be with you right after this. Hewitt says we're looking at another special counsel. We have a special counsel announced for President Trump, his second special counsel to go with his second impeachment. They just won't leave the guy alone. I don't have any prediction on what he's going to do because I haven't seen the evidence. But I have a prediction that he's not going to be done before the first Republican debate because that's not how they work now. This is your one chance at fame and fortune. The Hugh Hewitt Show, weekday mornings at 6, right before Bob France at 9 on AM 1420. The answer and Odyssey. You know, it's not far off. Funny song choice there, but I mean, we're 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 in a very, very, very strange place in a very dangerous place. I don't want to say we're teetering on the edge. We're not necessarily on the precipice at the moment, but we're headed in that direction. Uh, TJ's in Cleveland on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. He TJ, go ahead, sir. Yeah, you know, Bob, last night on Tucker Carlson, he had a British doctor as a guest. Now, you got to remember, this British doctor was all in for the shots. He even did commercials on British TV. Well, shortly after his father received the shots, he died of a heart attack. So this doctor started to do a lot of research on the shot. And what he discovered, that people getting the shot in the first six months have a 23% more chance of a heart attack than normal, and 11% for the first five years. He says, to put that in perspective, that's a higher percentage of getting a heart attack than someone that's overweight and smokes 40 cigarettes a day. Now, that's pretty scary. Yeah. And and, and like I said, this, this doctor really did his research. Uh, I You know, I liken this a lot, Bob, when I think of this shot. You know, in Nam, they wanted us to wear a helmet all the time, a steel pot. And in the jungle, there's nothing worse you can ask any grunt than having to wear a steel pot. We wanted to wear a soft hat. And the way we looked at it, this helmet is not going to stop a bullet. It may stop some little pieces of a shrapnel, but we'd rather take the chance of being more comfortable and not wear it. But, you know, in that case, they forced us to wear it. Uh, in this case, right now, they're not forcing us to, to wear a helmet, you might say. 
but that could change. Well, they are if you're a federal employee or a contractor working for a company that has any contract with the federal government. If you are a, a grunt, if you're a soldier... Right now, if you're in the U.S. military, you know this. You are mandated to take that shot, or you get booted out. So, so yeah. If you want to compare it to the helmet, they're mandating that everybody hey, in the military now wear that helmet, regardless of whether it protects them or not. Bob, ask anybody in the military. They shot us up so much with stuff. Every time you'd go overseas, you'd get in the shot line. God yeah. knows what they were shooting us up with. Now, I was in the prime of my life in the service, and it seemed like I was getting sicknesses all the time. Since I left the service. I haven't been to a doctor since then, let alone a hospital, hardly. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, you know, a, it, it's a very fr- – and thank you, TJ, for the call. Uh, God bless you, brother. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very dangerous thing to think about that if you just blindly roll up your arm. Now, if you're in the military, you had no choice. We're, you're, they're, they're deploying you. They're telling you you're going to have to get you know, shots to stop malaria and all these other things that you might deal with in the jungle. I get it. But people now don't have that. They're not going into combat. They're not going into high-risk zones. They're just living their lives. And they're being told, roll up that sleeve and blindly trust the government that tells you it's safe and effective. That's all you need to hear. It's safe and effective. Um, Let's go uh, to BJ uh, in North Olmstead. Hi, BJ. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. uh, uh, TJ is very correct. Uh, I was a medic in the service. You're aware of that. And uh, the inoculations we gave... We had no idea what they were going to do, and they were so overdosed with inoculations. But anyway, a year ago, I contacted what I thought was a cold, and I had the COVID shot. And my son took me to a clinic, and they tested me, and they said I had COVID. He took me to UH, and they kept me in the hospital for 10 days, and I survived. So thank God for that. But anyway, I asked the doctors and nurses that question to me. made them aware that I had been the medic in the service. And I said, I have a feeling there's something more to this COVID shot. Without exception, the nurses and doctors said, we were told to shut up. We're not permitted to discuss it. So yeah, there is something more that's going true. on. That's true. That's true. Because um, I got COVID two years ago in November of 2020. My whole family got it within about a month of one another. Ironically, we didn't know live together. The kids were on college campuses, and uh, my wife got hers from work, and I don't even know how I got mine. But the point being that we all talked to doctors, and we all talked about the concerns and the, all of these things, and they literally said the same thing. They're not allowed to talk about it. I didn't get the I didn't get any shots, but but they're you know I, I, they asked us, do you want the shots? And and we all said no. And and when I said, what about this, 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 and this? They all said. We're not allowed to discuss it. Uh, they're not allowed to give you their opinions on it. They're not allowed to do any. Uh, to, to, whoops. Uh, they're not. And thank you for the call, BJ. I think that's the tone that tells me I've got to get to the eleven o'clock news. But they're not allowed to talk about it because there are a lot of things that have to be kept secret. Uh, back with Jack Windsor next on Always Right Radio AM fourteen twenty. The answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and the Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway. Hour number three out of six for me. If you are uh, not aware, I'll be doing the Dennis Prager Show today. So uh, I know you've got Charlie Kirk live here from noon to one. Uh, then I'll have uh, you'll have me live on Dennis's show from from uh, one to three. If you want to hear the entirety of the Prager Show, you can of course watch it at the Salem News Channel and listen to it at dennisprager dot com and through all of the other different places where you hear Dennis. So I'll be doing his show from uh, noon until 3 today. We'll have a lot of ground to cover there, as we have here as well. Staying in the state of Ohio, though, now, uh, let's welcome our regular uh, Wednesday guest at this hour. He is uh, one of the best commentators going because he's one of the best newsmen working in the state. He covers the Ohio State House for us at WHK AM 1420, The Answer, but he also covers the enti- entire state for the Ohio Press Network, of which he is the founder and the executive Daniel! director. And he is Jack Windsor. Jack is also my partner, by the way, my buddy on Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, available wherever you get your podcasts. We have six episodes in, and we are just getting uh, more and more uh, fired up about it as uh, as we go. Jack, good morning. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm super fantastic. Thanks for choosing me this morning. It's an honor to be here with you and our listeners. How are you liking the podcast? I love it, man. You know, uh, it's kind of like anything. You know, you played football growing up. It's like two-a-days, right? You get through those first couple of weeks, you start to get some muscle memory, you get in shape, you start learning the plays. I feel like we're uh, at the end of two-a-days now, and we're starting to hit our stride. I love it. Yeah, I like that. It's a good analogy. It, it really is. And we're, you know, it's not going to always be politics. We launched it um, just a, a week or so before the midterm election, so it was all about midterms, the first couple episodes, if you go back and listen, which may be a little outdated for you now that we know that what the results are. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it's been very heavily politics because of the time of the year that we came in with this whole thing, but it's not always going going to be sometimes we're going to be talking about things that just impact us impact people our culture our communities and so forth and maybe all over the place we want to entertain people in addition to you know discussing and informing on the uh, political issues of the day so hope people will uh, check us out um talk and smack with bob and jack all right jack um let's talk a little smack about um the ohio board of elections for Mm -hmm. one of the very few times uh, I think I've ever agreed with a Democrat like Teresa Fetter. Senator Teresa Fetter is one of three Democrats who uh, won seats on the Board of Education, giving Democrats seven of the elected 11 elected seats. And sadly, Mike DeWine made too many mistakes in his appointments and some of the other seats that some of the same wokeness that is plaguing the rest of the country is going to continue to plague Ohio school students. So what do mm-hmm. I agree with Teresa Fetter about? I agree with her when she says, quote, if you can't beat them, take away their power. They're seizing more power, and the power shifting that's going on is literally taking away the voice of the people, Fetter said, in complaining about Senator Bill Reinecke's Senate Bill 178, which dramatically reduces the authority of the board and shifts power to a new cabinet-level agency. She's right. We can't beat them, take away their power, because it's not about power, it's about kids. And what they're doing to kids through this uh, you know, ideological shift that is going on right now around the country is as dangerous mm-hmm. as hell. I'll do whatever I have to do to take away their power to do that. Your thoughts? 
You know, so it's interesting. I just want to clarify. So is Fetter saying she supports Senate Bill 178? No, she's, she she's angry it? about it. She's saying that in fury, if you can't beat them, meaning us, take away their power. So she's saying that, you know, the Democrats are going to have more votes on that board of election or uh, board of education, rather, to, you know, push the Title IX changes, uh, not force the superintendent to write the letter that says this is our guidance here to all of our districts, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. She's complaining Mm -hmm. that the Republican backed bill takes away her and their power on the Ohio board. And and I agree with her. It does take it away. It's just that I don't I don't share her fury. I'm celebrating it. But I agree with what she is saying. Yeah. So, you know, Senate Bill 178 does just that, right? It um, it would create essentially a new division and um, it, it would retool the Department of Education and it would um, give the governor the opportunity to appoint uh, someone into that position. Uh, it's the Department of Education and Workforce, I think, is what it would be renamed. It would have two separate divisions. One would be for primary and secondary education. The one would be career and technol, or excuse me, uh, career and technical. Uh, and, and so then, obviously, that appointee would be approved by the Senate. But it does defang the Superintendent of Public Instruction and the State Board of Education, and it consolidates the power into this new Department of Education and and Workforce uh, group. So it's a cabinet-level position. Um, In in the the short term, it might defeat uh, some of the woke ideology that is seeped into the State Board of Education and into our local school districts, but it also creates a worrisome precedent and structure where what happens if somebody like Nan Whaley does win the governor's chair next time around, then she or whoever is in that seat appoints someone that is completely aligned with this radical ideology. And then all of a sudden that one person or those couple of people are making all of these decisions. Um, So I I think we're kind of in this pickle, right, where we don't agree uh, on the science. We don't agree on the best practices of some of the LGBTQ stuff that's going on. But at the same time, um, how do we combat it? And, and 178 says, well, we'll just take the power away from the existing structure. So I see both sides of the argument on that. I do, too. I just, like I said, I completely disagree with their side. So I agree with Teresa Fetter when she says, if you can't beat them, take away their power, because I do want to take away their power, meaning her yep. power to do anything about this. Now, um, one more quickie on this. Um, is is the the caveat that as you said you know Mike DeWine gets to pick this this cabinet level you know group uh, that would that would uh, uh, you know lead instruction and curriculum and so forth I don't trust him I don't trust him because I look at some of the board members he picked as you said if Nan Willie would have won the governorship uh, she'd be picking them and that's just as dangerous as well so what you know you can't substitute one group of radicals for example on the Ohio Board of Education with another group of radicals at this cabinet level you know uh, a group that that, that that would be put together by this bill so I, there's no there's no guaranteed improvement here but at least this gives an opportunity for you know DeWine in this particular case to take some steps, do some serious vetting, and, and appoint some people who are going to put the kids' best interest at heart, not just those of special interests like the LGBTQ community. Well, if my understanding is correct, uh, Mike DeWine appointed Stephanie Siddons, who is the current um, superintendent of public instruction, and, and Siddons is kind of the, the godmother to this whole child methodology that is now the structure 
upon which our public education system operates. And let me just <laughs> eliminate any confusion about the whole child. Uh, the whole child is the whole child, as it sounds, and the uh, public school system wants to have access and decision-making authority with respect to the whole child, not just reading, writing, math, and science, but every aspect of that child's life. And that's the problem. There are Republicans like Mike DeWine, and let's not get confused about him. Here's a guy who says he's a Republican, but believes in, quote, the benevolence of big government. This guy creates big government and spends taxpayer money just like a Democrat. Uh, so I, I share the healthy distrust in uh, scrutiny that should go down on Mike DeWine and, and the Department of Education as we as we get into the next couple of years. Jack, let's talk about Republicans. <clears throat> let's talk about the Ohio Republican Party. Bob Paduchuk, of course, has announced he's stepping down. That'll take place after the uh, after December. Um, where does the party go from here? This is something that I've wanted for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it comes too late, as far as I'm concerned. That's why we have Mike DeWine making these decisions that you're talking about, because I think Bob Paduchuk completely put his foot on the scale in that gubernatorial primary. Uh, we all know the reasons why. So where does it go from here? Who is in the hunt for the chairmanship, and what do you, uh, how do you handicap it? Yeah, so I, I have three names that float to the top. First is Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart is uh, an alleged Bob Paducek heir apparent, um, and because of that, whether that is uh, you know perception or reality, um, you know Jimmy Stewart is has been opposed by what I would call the reformers. These are the new folks that have been elected to the state central committee who are there because they um, want more transparency. They don't want you know primary endorsements. They don't want money flowing to prospective candidates without the entire committee weighing in. So uh, Jimmy Stewart is at the top of that list. Uh, someone threw his hat in the ring earlier this week, and I'm going to butcher his last name, and I apologize. It's Alex Triantaflo of Hamilton County. He's the Hamilton County Republican Party chairman. And, uh, you know, I haven't heard a lot about him. I'm still putting the feelers out. But I would guess he's like any uh, big city. You, you got your three C's, Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. And those areas, I think leaders there are more purple than they are red because of the nature of the deep blue state of, you know, the, the inner city politics. And so I think he's probably more a moderate if we're just going, if we're painting in broad strokes here. Um, and then the other one is Brian Williams. Brian Williams is someone who his name came to the surface when the state central committee in September um, was going to a- try to attempt to vote to get Bob Paducek out of his chair. Um, but I, Brian Williams isn't somebody who garnered enough support then to uh, for the reformers to get behind to actually oust Paducek. So those are the three on the list now. My understanding is there are going to be more uh, between now and that January meeting, and it's at that meeting that the next chairman will be selected. So do you think the the reformers are going to have, you know, enough support from the returners, if you will? You know, there's the new ones who were, who were elected to the uh, uh, state central committee. Are they going to have enough to, mm-hmm. to, to push back against? And again, I, I don't know him any better than you do in terms of whether or not he's, quote unquote, a Bob Paducek, you know, um, uh, loyalist or whatever, um, but do you think Stewart and, and people like that are in trouble because of the new reformers merging with some of the returners who were not real thrilled with the leadership of Paducic in the first place? Yeah, I think so. I, th- I think anybody, and, and I'm not you know saying good or bad about Bob Paducic, but anyone aligned with Bob Paducic or perceived to be aligned with Bob Paducic, it kind of you know gets that mud on them. So you know they're looked at as somebody who might be an authoritarian. Uh, somebody who's more of an operative than a leader. And so I think that does hurt Jimmy Stewart. And 
with respect to the reformers, I, the state central committee is comprised of 33 men and 33 women from each Senate district. So that means there are 33 Senate districts. There are 66 people. I think three of those seats are vacant. So you're down to what is that? 63. My understanding is the reformers have somewhere between 34 and 36 people, which is a majority. So I believe that the next person, mm. if there is going to be a conservative, I believe the next person that leads the Republican Party, if it's done the right way, would probably be someone that would be not a moderate Republican, but a conservative Republican. I like that. I like that. And that's what I've been hoping for all along, because I think Ohio has been one of the wasted red states, a state so red that it has super majorities, uh, big power in all of the state offices, and get nothing done. They govern like Democrats far too often. So that's what we've been looking for, somebody to lead the party in that direction. Last thing for you, Jack, in about two minutes here, Christina Johnson quit. She's the Ohio State <laughs> University president. She was only, what, two years into her five-year contract. What does that mean? Yep. Yeah, so there's a there, there are a lot of rumors going around. Um, when the story broke, I heard at the same time everyone else did. We found out that there was a, a report put together or an investigation done because staff members at Ohio State didn't like what was going on, so they looked into her. Um, you know, in November they had a chance to renew her contract or at least go over. Um, her review, they didn't. They went into a two-hour session, and that might have been the signal. And the word was that the board of trustees said, "Hey, you're going to resign, or or we're going to, you know, get you out the hard way." And so she published the letter on Monday night, stating that she was going to resign. Um, we also realized that uh, by information we received that the alumni association has good things to say about her. So it seems like she's leaving amicably, but there's a lot of speculation as to why. What I can tell you is that parents are not happy with crime around the university district. Parents are not happy with her woke ideology. Um, and I've had folks inside the university say she's not a great fundraiser. And it might be because she's in a red state and she's about as deep blue as an activist as they come. However, um, she was, you know, an undersecretary in the U.S. Department of Energy in the Obama administration. And someone even hinted to me this week that there, you know, she may be uh, t- still tethered to something there uh, and there might be an entanglement. And that might be part of uh, what's behind this. But we have no certainty right now. Well, it is interesting. Um, I kind of figured it's because, um, you know, they lost twice to Jim Harbaugh, so everybody got to go. Touche. That was not fun for anybody at the university. Jack Windsor is the founder and the uh, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. Make sure that you continue to follow all of the great coverage of the state of Ohio there, commentary and straight news. And, of course, tomorrow will be our next episode of Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. Uh, it'll be live on Facebook Live and YouTube Live and on Twitch. And then, of course, you will be able to watch it on any and listen to it on any of the podcast networks where you get your podcasts. So tomorrow night, 7 o'clock live and uh, any time after that. Jack Windsor, great stuff as always. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you later. You got it. 1124. We'll take a time out here. We're going to get into our newscast, and uh, I want to do something special on the other side of the news. Inspired by something that happened yesterday. I've got something planned for you uh, for the last segment of the broadcast, so uh, make sure you stay right here for that. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer.
something you want to hear? Check out the Always Right Radio podcast anytime at whkradio.com. Uh, final segment of Always Right Radio for this Wednesday edition. Thanks again to Jack Windsor who joined us last segment. Good conversation last half hour. Good conversation as always with Jack. And uh, thanks to you for great phone calls as we try to make some sense out of what is going on in this country right now. And in particular since the Senate yesterday in a bipartisan fashion decided to destroy the First Amendment. I um. I was just reminded of you know the conversation I had with Peter Kersenow yesterday. Yesterday I talked to Pete, and just to introduce his new book and give him a chance to promote it called The Devil's Weapons, um, I, I was reminded of Paul Harvey and his, um, his, his monologue that he did in uh, 1965 uh, called If I Were the Devil, in which he kind of listed all of the things. If he were the devil and were hell-bent on destroying the world, this is how he would do it. And it was just remarkable that he was, he saw all of this coming back in 1965 because everything that he kind of said he would do is being done here in this century, here in this decade, and in the last decade, and it's, been, and it's kind of progressed over the course of the last few decades. He was spot on. Anyway, I played it yesterday because Pete and I were talking about it, and then I said, you know, I'm going to go through this a little bit more in depth one of these days. I'm going to I'm going to pause after each of his predictions and we're going to point out how it is literally taking place today. Well, I was inspired by that and I want to do that now. I want to close the show with this. I'm going to give you Paul Harvey again and we're going to talk about exactly what he meant and exactly what is happening uh in this country right now today. And and we'll find out. Is the devil pulling the strings? Is the devil, as Paul Harvey said, literally making these things happen right now? Let's do this today. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I have seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. The ripest apple on the tree. The. Meaning you and me. Meaning the United States of America. The crown jewel of God's creation. The crown jewel simply because of what we have done with ourselves in 250 years to become the greatest force for what God stood for. Good in the history of mankind. Continue. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. Right? The removal of God from the public square. The removal of God from the schools. The removal of God from your home life. From your mind. Eh. Following those rules that the church has set for you. I mean, aren't you tired of that? Wouldn't you rather do this? Do as you please. He said it to Eve in Original Sin was born. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. Tell me that's not exactly what is happening in public schools today. Tell me that's not exactly what is happening in popular culture, in entertainment, in the Internet today. God created, or God didn't create man. Man created this God. In his weakness and in his failures, he needed something to say, well, it's all being controlled. It's all being managed by this, this, uh, uh, you know, this, this cloud man that we're just going to call God. 
That kind of thing wins people over, sadly but truly, literally flipping people around. Paul Harvey said that in 1965. It is happening now. Fewer and fewer Christians call themselves Christians in the United States today than at any point since this country was founded on Judeo-Christian values. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. How many people do you know? How many leftists in particular do you know that literally turn to the government for all of the answers to their questions, for all of the solutions to their problems, all of the money that they need in their poverty? Everything can be handled by the government. Big government is not meant to be worshipped. It is meant to serve the people and then get the hell out of the way. But it is literally, as Paul Harvey described it, people see the government as almost a deity. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. Children's books in school libraries filled with pornographic references and pictures and uh, gay attraction and what gays can do to one another in order to make themselves feel good. This is happening literally in children's literature. It's one of the reasons why the parents' rights movement has, has been developed, to try to push back against this. Threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I could just repeat it right there. Now, the one thing Paul Harvey couldn't talk about in 1965 because it didn't exist yet is the Internet. But Internet pornography available to anyone and everyone of any age and every age with the click of a button on a smartphone. And every child probably over the age of six in this country now has a smartphone and access to that. He talked about dirty movies. Multiply that times, you know, to a a factor of ten or more, and you have the modern-day Internet. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. The drug addiction that is going on in this country today is worse than it has ever been, including in the drug-crazed decade of the 60s in which Paul Harvey spoke. And they've gotten worse. They've gotten more and more um, deadly. Speaking of the opioid epidemic and specifically fentanyl, which continues to traffic over our southern border with impunity. If the devil were running the show right now, what would he do differently than this? I say nothing. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media the media in the 60s was nowhere near what it is today in terms of exactly what Paul Harvey just talked about there. Fanning the flames of division, stoking anger, stoking enmity among the races, among neighbors, among people in ch- of their churches, and more. He's exactly right. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Which we do in many, many, many school districts. And yes, the earlier part of that is exactly right as well. Children thinking with emotions rather than with their brains. Children being taught to feel first 
And what do what are they taught to feel? Offensiveness. They're taught to be offended by anything that they find uncomfortable, and then they need to report that so that that offensiveness can be wiped out. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted. The redistribution of wealth that is literally taking place right now under current leadership in the United States of America. Until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. Until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. Can anyone look around right now at the lack of workers, the lack of employees, at businesses forcing them to close or change their hours or pay $20 for a job that requires $5 worth of skill or talent? Look at all of the people sitting home. Why should I go to work if the government's just going to give me stuff? He saw this stuff coming in 1965. What'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. Including and especially children. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey saw this all coming in 1965. I hope we're paying attention, and I hope we know that literally the devil is running the show. And it's up to us to do what we can to stop it. That's all the time I've got for today. Thank you for listening. Thanks to my crew. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Dr. Everett Piper will be here. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.